This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. A bit of a special episode today. I'm joined by fellow journalist Harry DeCosmo. And we're going to talk about his book, which is coming out later this year. And it's on the great man, Sir Bobby Robson. And in a time where everything is a bit depressing, we just heard Callum Wilson is ruled out for at least six weeks. It's nice to be able to speak and read about a man like Sir Bobby Robson, who, for me, is the definition of Newcastle now. It is the definition of the beautiful game. Harry's book titled Black and White Night, How Sir Bobby Robson Made Newcastle United Again. That's his outlay this year. Harry, just talk to us, first of all, a bit about what the book covers. Scale-wise, it covers from literally picks up um, with the Sunderland game, Rude Hullet, getting, uh, obviously leaving Shearer out, the build-up to that, and then the aftermath of that, his resignation, why Bobby Robson needed to come in, uh, while also referencing the fact that he nearly came in in 1997 as well after Kevin Keegan was in charge. Um, and then it, it, it drives all the way through, you know, it, it takes you through everything that Bobby did until he was um, sacked in 2004, then gives a little bit of context to the aftermath as well, with a little bit of background as, as to his personality in, a, in one chapter and also uh, a a little bit of information on the foundation and his cancer foundation and his later life. And then unfortunately uh, his death as well. Um, so it basically covers everything Newcastle United related to Sir Bobby Robson is, is the way I would, uh, I would summarise it. And why Sir Bobby Robson? I mean, Newcastle have had lots of interesting characters throughout their history. People have different heroes, but for you, why did you decide to do what is your first book as well on Sir Bobby Robson? Well, because for me, I think there's a, me included, and there's a generation of people out there now who don't remember the Kevin Keegan years. I was born in 1994, so I, I'm not a, I know the stories of Kevin Keegan, but I didn't live them. Bobby Robson's era was my supplement, if you like, and, and it was a great way. You know, that was my first era supporting the club before I sort of ventured into journalism. I've now, you know, we in pre-lockdown terms anyway, I would go to St. James's Park as a, in a professional capacity now, but I grew up going in a, in a, in a, in a, as a fan and Bobby Robson's era was, was what was what made me fall in love with the club. And it was the last era that made it sort of makes it feel worthwhile of what the club could be and what the club should be and, and what the club is, is actively seemingly not deciding not to be at the moment. You spoke to lots of people who worked really close with Sir Bobby yeah. during his time on Tyneside. And some heroes of yours, I would imagine, as well, the yeah. likes of Shea Given is just one name that you've spoken to. What was it like tracking them down, getting them to agree to talk to you, and then, you know, putting their words down in this book? Well, in terms of getting them to talk to me, um, I think I was helped by the fact that I was writing about Sir Bobby and I was writing, it was non-threatening, it was non, you know, it was, it was, I painted it as a tribute, which it is. I mean, it's, it's a factual 
don't get me wrong, it's factual and it, and it tells the, the dark side as well. Can't tell you how many people, every time I've published the, the I've, I've, I've put out a tweet with the book, they're promoting the book people and said how great the, the story is that people come back and say, yeah, but they sacked him and stuff like that. That's all covered, don't get me wrong. But the way I painted it when I was getting people to talk to me was it's a it's a, it's a great way of, of talking about Sir Bobby and remembering Sir Bobby. And, and that helps, you know, getting when I when I when I got in the the, the details for the likes of Shay and uh, Nobby Solano, they were they were certain John Carver as well. They were so happy to talk to me about because they about Sir Bobby because they because they love him as much as as we do and and everyone remembers him so fondly. So it was it was pretty easy uh to to get them to 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 agree to it once they knew that that it was a it was a, a way of celebrating Sir Bobby and 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 that whole brilliant era of, of Newcastle United I think. It must be amazing as well to talk to these players like Shea Given, like Norberto Solano. And after all this time, after all these years, they're still holding those memories of being under Sir Boy Robson, being Newcastle, still so high. And what are we, what are we, 20 years after? Yeah, I think that's that's a, a really good point. And, and the, the way that they spoke about it, the way that specifically John Carver, I think, was was so enthusiastic about it i mean his john john's sort of uh reputation or, or, or view the what people think of him is now not i don't i wouldn't say tarnished but he's now seen as a as a manager that that, that struggled whereas actually when it, as bobby's assistant he was he was a crucial part of a very successful era and he he was you know his memories of it were fantastic the same as shay and the same as nobby solano robbie elliott rob lee warren barton all the people i spoke to were were, were crystal clear in what they remembered. And I think it's because they take it with them as well, just as well as, as the fans do. They all take it with them as well. And it was a, it was a really, it was a real joy to, to, to get involved in, to be honest. You mentioned there, Rob Lee, and this is kind of the first story that I picked out upon reading the book, which flows really well. And it, that can be quite a challenge sometimes, but it is just a nice read. And like what I say is a, t- a test in times. So it's nice to have that kind of release from, the real world at the moment. And I picked out the Chelsea game, the semi-final. I think everyone remembers the video, the TV coverage of Sir Boy Robson walking down to the dugout. An inflatable ball flies from the stands and he goes to head it and he's got the little white flower and he's suit and he's just the he's just a picture book of he's like a little kid in many ways. He's just you can yeah. just tell he's excited and yeah. you know and he's only been in the job a, a, a few months. Yeah. Um but he's got Newcastle to a semi-final mm. of the FA Cup. And the comments from Rob Lee are very interesting. Mm. I've written a few down here. When you like a manager, you run through a brick wall for him or for them. I would have loved to have won it for Bobby. And I think that just sums up the impact Sir Bob Robson had in such a short space of time and also gives... A, an amazing insight into that relationship between Rob Lee and Rude Hullet and how far it had fallen. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that he, I think I write in the book as well, the fact that he scores in that semi-final with the number 37 on his back is kind of a battle scar and a a reminder of what he'd been through that season because he didn't have a squad number. He was completely ostracised. And and what I find really interesting about that that chapter and the story that, that developed is that when uh, the you know John and, and and Rob are talking, particularly in Warren, are talking about the aftermath of the Rude Hullet era, is the apologies that had to be made 
and the 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 scars that were left across the club and it's incredibly quickly how how Bobby solved those problems if you like he changed um the 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 mentality almost instantly and the fact that he got into a semi-final having been to the, the obviously the two previous finals against Arsenal and Manchester United it 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 showed how quickly he he mended those things as you say and Rob scoring the goal and Rob what Rob said as well about um the Manchester United game not particularly being almost in two minds about whether, obviously wanting to win it for the fans, but understanding that if Rude Hullet wins that game, he's probably out of the club. And Rude, and the, uh, uh, the chapter's called Sliding Doors for a reason, because if either Rude Hullet probably wins the cup final or maybe even the Sunderland game, things completely change. And Rob is sort of indicative of that. And it was really sort of brilliant in a sense that, that, that it, it, it fits the narrative so brilliantly that he scored the goal. And his comments, you know, it, it does show that that everybody just they knew they understood what the club meant to Bobby, despite also the the fact that Bobby hadn't actually been in the area, let alone living in the area, let alone you know involved in Newcastle United for about fifty years. So he didn't have any prior uh, professional co- connections, but he was like a fan, and it came across. And his enthusiasm—you say the thing about trying to head the ball and and that, uh, the the inflatable ball and, and all that thing—that that. that it just that sort of enthusiasm, that energy that he brought to the club, it's almost clear in the in the way he he changed the the club on the pitch. But it's also clear in those little funny little stories and funny little trinkets that that you mentioned. It, it's just it's so clear. And the fact that 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 Rob, as I say, scored the goal in, the, in that same final, okay, it ended in defeat, but it showed how quickly both he his uh, role in the in the club changed, but also the, the way that Bobby. Um, you know, completely turned the club around in the space of about 11, you know, what, what, nine, 10 months. Yeah, amazing turnaround. And I think like you said at the start, it, it's the start of that journey, which still continues today because it, and you're right in what you said at the beginning, that it is kind of the last era of when it, when Newcastle was really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. You felt like they were going to win something. Mm. And you mentioned there, you know, the little stories I'd say Bobby Robson and, you know, there's plenty from the people you talk to within the book, but the foreword is done done by George Colkin, yeah. and he mentions you know about Sir Bobby's memory and it. You know, there is a little, bit, and it's only what is it? It's a two three page foreword, but it's a brilliant mm-hmm. foreword as well because he kind of sums up what Sir Bobby Robson meant to when you cast tonight and found what Sir Bobby Robson meant to to the northeast. Yeah, I, when I went for the book, I mean, I, I, it was about the start of. I mean, this book is kind of paralleled. The coronavirus pandemic, if you like, because I, I went uh, to speak to to Liz Luff at the foundation to discuss it first in early March, just after the, the day after or two days after the Burnley game, which is the last game we were both at at St James's, um, and then I and I spoke to her about. It. I had a plan in my head of what I wanted to do with the book, and one of the first things I wanted was George to write forward because I knew obviously having written Sir Bobby's last book with him and knowing Sir Bobby as he did. Uh, and the fact that he's a—I mean—he's a poet with words, as we already, as we all know. Um, it, it, it was obvious to me that he he should write the forward because he he can put he can put emotion on a page like like no like very few people I, I've ever seen before. So and and he so marrying the fact that he knew Bobby and he knew he's a Newcastle fan himself, it all made it clear that that he should write the forward for the reason that you just said because he he puts it on the page so so brilliantly and. Um, that that forward is is fantastic because it really, as you say, it shows 
what he means. But also, I think the key thing that, that, that George writes is that we shouldn't sanctify... We, it's easy to sanctify Bobby's memory because we love him so much, but there were some sort of some difficult sides to his personality in terms of, you know, almost his, his family suffered because of his love for football and he had to fight, physically fight players when he was at Ipswich Town. Obviously, that's all sort of like context in, in, in terms of what I'm writing, but rather than actually speaking about it, you know, directly, but it, it's a key point. And I think George hit the nail on the head, as I knew he would from the start. It was one of the first things I knew that I wanted to do with the book was get George involved to write the forward because he could because he could sort of paint the picture for both Newcastle fans and people who because the book is, is is aimed at trying to contextualize what Bobby did for Newcastle for people who don't perhaps know and I think that gets off to a really good start. You know, one hundred percent. And you mentioned you know you've spoken to Rob Lane, Alberto Solano, but also Hugo Viana, who for me he remains one of these players where you just think what if because he had such talent. But he probably came to the Premier League a little bit too early. Maybe yeah. mentality wasn't quite there. He wasn't strong enough. But he had brilliant left foot, a real good pass of the ball. And it's interesting because he mentions in the book here about Gary Speed and how Gary Speed was still very much first team member. And, and there was no way a young lad from Portugal was going to uproot Speed from that first team. Yeah. I just found his quotes, you know, really amazing, really interesting. And uh, again, going back to Sir Bobby, I like the fact that he, he tried to speak Portuguese, uh, but he wasn't very good at it. So it meant the kind of the communication between Viana, who spoke very little English, and Boy Robson was even uh, was even worse than it may have been. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that was part of why he struggled. Obviously, being so young, it wasn't common as common as it is now for players to come in. I think uh, Steve Caldwell mentions about Didier Drogba not knowing what players are like. You can see players every every day on YouTube and whatever. Everyone knows about players who play in different countries now because of the, the access to TV and stuff like that. That wasn't the case back then. So Hugo Viano was coming into this club as a as a talented, highly rated player. Obviously, he won the European Player of the Year, but I think a lot of people, including the players, probably wouldn't have known a lot about him. So and then he comes in, as as I say, as a, as a young lad, doesn't have very much pace about him. That's probably one of the things that lets him down as well. Physicality, obviously, being a centre midfielder. Nobby Solano mentions in a 4-4-2 formation, it's going to be unlikely that he's going to play in that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's funneled out to the left. Um, and he's not, as I say, he's not quick enough to play on the left. So, it, so he doesn't really quite fit in. But the obvious thing that came from both what Hugo said about Bobby and what Bobby writes about Hugo in his book, which I've quoted, is that there was a mutual respect and a mutual belief that 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 they were in the right place, maybe just at the wrong time, as you say. Um, it, the thing that that made me really sad about Hugo is, is in, in a sense, is is the fact that he speaks about Gary Speed and speaks about how him, Dyer, Genus are all in front of him, but then Gary leaves. And there's an opportunity there, if you like, to for, for Hugo to maybe step up, but he's already agreed to go as well in 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 the summer of 2004. So it, it's a it's a really sort of difficult um, difficult time. But but actually, what I found was that he he isn't he wasn't regretful about his um, about his time at Newcastle. He wasn't regretful about his career generally not filling not fulfilling the. The uh, the potential he had because he was the 
he was in the same sort of sporting Lisbon. I think he was a couple of years older, but in the same sporting Lisbon sort of era as Cristiano Ronaldo, and he was high, as highly related. That they were the, they were the two standout players. So in one sense, it's sad that he didn't fulfil his potential, but he never he doesn't look back at it. He looks back at it as as a as a positive. And um, it was it was it was great to speak to him, and really I really enjoyed getting to to the heart of why he feels maybe it didn't work out. And he's at, he's he's as honest as, as the Newcastle fans who watched him are. Newcastle fans, I think they, there's a lot of it's tinged with regret, and people understand how good he talented he was, how technically gifted he was. But there's no there's never any criticism of him particularly because it just it was, as I say it was the, the the right player probably at the wrong time. I mean, you could call that bit of the book sliding doors as well. I imagine there's yeah. lots of bits in yeah. the book which could be. Yeah, uh... yeah absolutely. That, 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 that was the, the thing. I mean, and, and the way that, that he came in as the sort of main player that summer, obviously with Titus Bramble, but he was the player. The, there's a bit where they, you know, I think Freddie Shepard had chased Rivaldo uh, as a 30 year old player. This, this sort of thing that he wanted a big start. Obviously, he ended up doing that with Patrick Clive a couple of years later, but. This idea that he was chasing Rivaldo, whereas the 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 transfer policy at the time was young players who weren't um, who who were able to be moulded, and that's a key thing that I think that I wanted to mention when I when I when I came on here is that it kind of contextualises the current era and the Mike Ashley way of doing things in in terms of not overly you know younger players develop who you can develop and sell on. And for not particularly extortionate prices, Newcastle challenged in the Champions League and challenged in the Premier League without spending um, over ten million pounds on one player. Now, I'm not saying you could do that now because I don't think you could, but it just proves that principally you can succeed without spending a lot of money if you've got the right approach. And Viana was one of the two high-profile players that, that weren't British that that were brought in in that era, but. Um, and put, and the one who didn't really work out, the other one being Lauren Robert, who who was obviously superb, but um, but it was a it, it, he came in as this sort of big beacon of hope in the Champions League era, and actually he still had a massive impact in that year because he scores that goal against Zelda Jesnikar in this qualifier. He scores one of the goals in the final game, so it, it, it's not like he did nothing. He, it's just that he didn't fulfil the potential that he he had as arguably the best young player in Europe at the time when he arrived. Hmm. We'll get into that final game in just a moment, but we are going to give a copy of the book away. We have one copy to give to one of you, our lucky listeners. Every time you see this podcast tweeted out, it will be followed by another tweet, which links you to a form. And all you have to do is fill that form in. It does sign you up to our newsletter, um, and I'll get all the, the details of everyone who has signed up, and we'll put you into a a random draw generator, and I'll pick one winner out around about March the 1st, so to speak, and then we'll get them sent out to you, and there'll be one lucky winner of Harry's book. No question for you guys to answer either. It's really simple to enter, so hopefully we'll get a few people uh, entering that. And just before we carry on, do you want to just tell people, Harry, how they can get hold of the book? Yeah, so I'm deliberately asking people, as many people as possible, to come to me uh, first to get a signed copy of it if they want it, but uh, and I must stress that this is a voluntary thing. Um, I, I mentioned I spoke to Liz Luff at the foundation about it. Um, I'm making a voluntary donation to the foundation of, of the sales that I make um, without any endorsement of the book from the foundation or, or the family or anything like that. 
the family, by the way, were really helpful, but they haven't they haven't endorsed it, as I say. Um, so you can come to me, DM me on Twitter, as I've as I've uh, said so many times, or you can get it at uh, Waterstones, WH Smith, Amazon. The links in my bio on Twitter as well. So it's quite easy to get hold of. Um, um, but as I say, if you come to me, you, you you're going to be helping a, a obviously a fantastic cause um, with a with a donation that's purely down to 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 my my choice rather than anything else. And Harry's handle is his name, Harry DeCosmo on Twitter. When would people be getting the book through their letterboxes if they do order it? Uh, on the fifteenth, it's out. Um, so if you order it, if you pre-order it now, or you uh, if you order it from me, unfortunately, you'll have to wait a little bit longer. That is a caveat. But if you pre-order it from Amazon or anyway, it should be coming through your door on the fifteenth of March when it when it's released. There you have it, and it is a really good read. So I do recommend ending the competition. Then, if not, going through Harry to uh, also help out the foundation, which is a lovely gesture there. On this Fire Nord game, it is one of the games which I think most people will remember from the last yeah. 25, 30 years, probably even before. It's one of those games which just sums up Newcastle United as a club. Yeah. Absolute chaos. And, and in many ways, a bit like the Southampton game that we've just seen Newcastle yeah. there hold on to, that 3-2 victory, where they were so dominant they then kind of let the other side back in. and just so much drama going about. And yeah. reading back the quotes from the players that you, that you spoke to, and John Carver is key in this. And one thing that stood out was just John Carver telling Sir Bob Robson to stay calm and trust the players. This is just when Feyenoord had grabbed the second goal. <laughs> and just the thought of John Carver telling Sir Bob Robson to stay yeah. calm it doesn't doesn't it's really work in, yeah, in your mind, does it? Given what we know about the two characters, but um, but it's funny and um, again the context of that game. I mean, it, it's it's the ninety minutes are so crazy anyway. But if you're looking at the context of the Champions League group stage, that Newcastle are going to be the first team if they win to go through after losing their first three, and that record stood until I think it was either last season or the season before when Atalanta did it as well, um, and. It was a really sort of. I mean, the the build up was was everyone was nervous. Everyone was it, they. It only really became a possibility about halfway through the uh, the 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 Dinamo Kiev game when they were two one up. Um, Shearer scores a penalty in the, in the, at St James's Park to put them two one up, and then it becomes possible. They go into Rotterdam thinking, well, you know, we we will we'll it, you know we'll see what where we go. They got two up, as I say, Viana scores as well as uh, as Bellamy. Back from a ban as well, an injury as well. So there was a he he gave them an impetus, um, and then obviously, as I say, the, the two goals in quick succession. I think John Carver says it's like turning the taps on or something like that, um, and and uh, and and final come back into it. You thinking the the momentum's going to swing, and then Bellamy pops up with for me one of my favourite, one of the most iconic Newcastle goals in my lifetime. Partly because of the the John John Champions uh, commentary as well, and his voice breaks. Everyone remembers that. It's um, interesting because you mentioned you mentioned the John Champion bit, yeah. and I agree because I watched that after reading that chapter. I watched the highlights back. Yeah. I agree that moment when Bellamy puts it in the back of the net. You can hear his yeah. voice breaking. His great moment. But for me, that's not the best bit. The bit is just before when Feyenoord get the second, and he's just like. Oh, Newcastle, be careful. Yeah. For me, yeah. I, I don't know why. I can't, I, and I think I've said this before on a previous podcast. For me, that line is is the line I always take away because 
as I mentioned, as we introduced this point, I think that game just sums up Newcastle, yeah. what it means to be a Newcastle United fan. You have to go through the ups and downs. Yeah. And quite often, it usually is within a 90-minute period that you get that. And it's like no other club, this roller coaster ride. And John Chapman just saying, oh, Newcastle, be careful. Leads into Sir Bobby's, uh, John Carver's comment there about telling Bobby to stay, stay calm. It's just, yeah. yeah, a wonderful piece of commentary from John Chapman. But as you were saying, it's all about probably that last moment for you. Yeah, I think the, the other thing that you've got to mention is what Shay Gibbons says, which is something along the lines of, you know, that we've done it and, and that people, we proved our point, we proved ourselves. We, we made it because people were doubting us. And then there's the description of, the fact that everyone went mental in the dressing room and obviously had a few beers that John Carver mentions. And he thinks that, you know, he says that, oh, Bobby will have gone back to have a, a, a glass of champagne in his room calmly. Because if he, I think people have said the, a similar thing about Carlo Ancelotti yesterday when he when Everton scored uh, the fifth goal in that game against, um, against Spurs. Uh, and he, he just looks cool and calm because he's used to it. He's seen bigger goals in his lifetime. And I think that's the point that, John's making about Sir Bobby is that he's seen it all before and he's angry when the second goal goes in but he's at the end of the day he's once the third goal goes in it, the thing turns around and he says calm down stay calm and it, because he's seen it all before he knows what you know he knows about winning trophies and scoring big goals in big games so that sort of he and I think that's kind of the point was that every single time Newcastle needed a bit of inspiration. They could look on the sidelines and see Bobby Robson there and, and trust that he knew what he was doing because he'd done it before with Barcelona, with England, with Ipswich and with Porto and, and, and all all the other things he's done with his career. But to get the sense, so, you know, while he had won trophies with Barcelona and obviously the UEFA Cup with Ipswich, it meant it would have meant a bit more because it was Newcastle United, it was his boyhood club. So yeah. while, like you say, he's had that experience of lifting yeah. trophies with some of the biggest clubs in the world, mm. to him, as a lad who supported Newcastle United, the pressure and the excitement and the elation, and then probably the anger and you know the the upset that comes with going out of the competition is much more because. You want to win something not just because it's your job, but because it's your club. It's the club you've watched as a young lad. Yeah, I think that was absolutely the message that I got through from the likes of Rob when you speak about going back to the semi-final in, in 2000. And um, I think the other one that, that really hurt him, the other exit of a competition was the game against Wolves uh, in the third round of the FA Cup. I think it was that season. Um, and you got the sense that he did He did feel like he... he he wanted to win. That was his aim. And at the end of the day, he he didn't achieve that, which is which is a, a sad thing. And but it hasn't affected his legacy with the club because of all the other things that went with it, of the ride that he took us on. I think that was that's kind of going back to the whole point of the book. That's kind of because people from the outside and because of like if you look at the various documentaries and things that have been written about Bobby, people talk about England, they talk about Ipswich, they talk about Barcelona, and. Newcastle's kind of an afterthought from the outside, but and and people from the outside probably can't also understand why maybe he's so revered because he didn't win anything in a similar sort of way to to Kevin Keegan. That sort of thing has been questioned in a sense again, stressing from the outside, and that's kind of the point is that it was a connection between a local man who loved the club and was coming back to the area having never played for them, having not had the, that opportunity. So everything was heightened in his desire to do it. 
uh, for, for Newcastle. And, and I think it would have, absolutely, if it was the FA Cup, League Cup, Champions League, Premier League, whatever, it would have meant that little bit more to him because it was his club, because it was Newcastle United, the, the club that, that he he loved. And that, and that, again, stressing is why why I wrote the book, is to paint the picture of it was a fan leading a, a leading a, the club that he loves. And, that was, and that's what made it so special. Of course, certainly. And it's interesting you mentioned there Ancelotti on the touchline against Spurs and he, he kind of just blows on the really hot coffee he's got in his hand. I think yeah. he knew the cameras were on him. Yeah, I totally. think he's a bit like that. Yeah. And, I, and Boy Robson was very much like that as well. Yeah. He, he knew how to work the media. He knew how to get a laugh. He knew how to calm the situation. We could... We could go on about plenty of examples, but we saw that even after he left football, we saw it with a speech at the, uh, the Sir Boy Robson Foundation on the moment the, the centre officially opened. Mm. Up until the moment he made his speech, and we'll get on to Professor Ruth Plummer in a, in a moment, because I know you spoke to her for the book as well. Mm. You know, Professor Ruth Plummer was under the understanding she would be making this speech, and you know, it had been days in the making this speech, and as she got up to make it, so Bob Robson stood in front of her and pulled the speech out of his pocket, which clearly he had made for days. Yeah. And he just little wink in the eye, you know. And it was just moments like that where he knew how to work a room, he knew how to work an audience. And Shea Given says when he was in front of the cameras on or the, the you know the cameras are watching them train, Sir Bob Robson was full of beans in front of the cameras, which I think is a is a lovely little phrase to, to sum up how Sir Bob Robson worked with the media. Yeah, no, I think he New and and there's a point in this at the very start uh, in in the press conference when he's unveiled and he's asked about his age. He's 66. Says, "Well, you're either 66 years old or 66 years young. Do you want to race to the hundred meters?" And it's that sort of like there's a glint in his eye. There's a there's a clever uh, there's a clever way of 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 putting the journalist in in his place while also having a laugh. And that's kind of the thing that George speaks about that that journalists knew that. That he wanted a story. Uh, sorry, that, they, that so he knew that journalists wanted a story, so he would um, so he would always provide one. But he was and but he was always, you know, even when he was giving people, uh, you know, screaming at people, having a go at people for, for stories that they've written or whatever, he would do it in a, in, a, in a really pleasant way, just as he would do it with a player who who who'd broken a rule or something. He would do it. He would pick them up afterwards. And that sort of thing, he knew how to play the media, as you say. And um, yeah, Ruth, Ruth Plummer and the, and the foundation thing was excellent. And you get the idea that you, 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 they really paint the, it really paints the picture of how much he cared for people. I think that was the forget the with the foundation, forget with Newcastle United or whatever. That was just him as a person. He cared about other people, and that was what made him so special. And that's what I, that's what I that's what I take away, and that's why it 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 it. it Answering your very first question again about why why Sir Bobby Robson, that's effectively why, because he made people feel like, you know, he cared about them and that's what matters. And we'll finish on probably one of the most, not depressing, but one of the, the one of the most uh, low points of his career was mm. his exit from Newcastle United. And it's interesting because I think people now look back on it and say, what a horrible mistake, but... It's, it's fair to say a fair few of those people would have been calling yeah. for him to go. And I, I mean, that is just the world of a, a, of a fickle football fan. Mm. And I'm too young to really recall what I thought 
uh, at that point. But, you know, goodness me, I probably, if he did, I don't know for sure. But, you know, my, my point is, is that all these years later, you look back on it and you think, well, goodness me, what have we had since? Yeah. And then you get to realise just how lucky you were to have a manager of Sipor Robson's calibre. But I suppose that's the way of life, isn't it? You know, that can be applied to any notion in life. Um, who did you speak to to cover that bit of, you know, Sipor Robson's career, which turned out really to be his, his final bit of his career? Um, mainly Charlie Woods, who was his chief scout and, and close friend, um, going back to his Ipswich days. And and John Carver again. Uh, see the, the the that chapter starts with a quote I think from Shea Gibbon, Gordon Milne, who was director of football at the club as well. They all gave a really good and Mark Robson, uh, Bobby's son, gave a really sort of rounded view from every angle of what happened there and why it happened. And I think what you say about um, fickle football fans, I think there's been a real rewriting of history in general from every angle of of that because people, you know. Um, I think John Carver speaks about the Wolves game where everyone everyone disappears for the for the lap of honour, which I remember being at and thinking it was really strange. But again, I was a bit I was young. I was only sort of nine years old at the time, so um, I don't remember feeling. I don't remember what I felt or having an opinion on it. But I just remember thinking it was really odd that because I'd seen that that was what happened at the end of every season, the lap of honour, and everyone disappeared for it, and. That summed up how, also in that game, people are booing. I don't remember people booing the subs coming on and off uh, after the because of the Marseille game, uh, which is quite ironic because in them in Marseille the fans sort of clap the players off, which is really weird. But um, but yeah, that was all building up to the moment of his sacking and the moment it, it just it, it, even writing about it and asking about it, it is so cold and callous and so ridiculous. And I don't necessarily think the idea of Putting, you know, changing his contract from a one-year role into one to to a fixed one-year is necessarily a bad thing if you handle it properly. But the point is, the club didn't handle it properly, and um, and that's why it ends up being like it is. And a lot of fans, I think, fans uh, and the board and everybody involved really can kind of has to kind of remember how it was back then. And there wasn't much of a there wasn't certainly it wasn't seen as as soon as he left, it wasn't seen as Oh my God, what's going to happen now? It's it's a it's a disaster. It's only become that because of what what's happened since, and we realise what we had. Um, I think more is a damaging thing is that the the, the club had built this idea up that um, there was a, a discipline issue. That was a uh, the more I speak to people and, and and around it, I got the feeling that that was a a myth almost that that there were certain things that had happened that they were taken out of context they were they were blown up out of proportion and Gordon Mill I think says something along the lines of th- that sort of thing that, that that people were pointing to was happening all the way through his reign but he was dealing with it it wasn't getting out in the press and the reason why it was perhaps getting in the press is because the results weren't, weren't going so well and then afterwards bringing in Graham Souness and calling him the lion tamer and making it all about you know fixing the issues in the squad that's probably where the decision was was arguably worse. Not necessarily getting rid of Bobby in itself, just the manner in which it happened was 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 the worst thing I think. Um, and because I think Bobby even has, even said in his book that he told Freddie Shepherd, "If you want to get rid of me at the end of the season, that's fine, but let's do it in a different way. Let's do it properly." I mean, he was seventy-one years of age. You would be silly not to have a sort of contingency plan. But the way it happened. 
is really what's 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 wrong with 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 that whole thing. And then I think I say actually because of the way it happened, because of the decisions made by that board afterwards. That's Sooness. That's maybe Cliver as well. Just before Shea give it, uh, sorry, um, Michael Owen in in between as well. And then that all sort of culminates. Then Mike Ashley comes in. But actually, everyone points to Mike Ashley and says that's the moment that things went south. But actually, the way that Bobby left made things go south first. And um, I got a really good insight into what he felt as well. And it's difficult to write, to write and to read about how how hurt he was. And he never left that for the for the for the. He never recovered from that uh, over the last five years of his life. And that's. And that's quite a, that. That's really that's really the saddest thing that I took from that from that experience writing and and researching that chapter was the fact that he never kind of got to grips with it and never accepted. Why would he? Because it was such a kind sort of callous way of doing it. And also, he was treated pretty poorly throughout his career by England with the press, uh, both before and after Italia ninety Barcelona, um, sort of cutting short his time to get Louis Van Gaal in, and then Newcastle and. He wasn't treated particularly well throughout that whole sort of last 15 years of his career. And for such a kind man as this book tries to pop, put forward and, and make clear, that's that's one of the toughest things, I think, is to take that he just never got the respect he deserved until it was arguably too late. Which is a shame, but perfectly summed up there. And I guess my final question is then, just explain to our listeners... That moment you clicked submit, the book was gone, you'd done, everything was done, and all you probably had to get back was a, a few notes. Well, actually, no, scrap that. The bit where your publisher came back and said, right, this is the final bit, this is the final draft, it's going to press. Yeah, so that so that, that weird sort of process, is, as I say, it happened through the lockdown. So the, the whole book process, it was a real saviour for me. It was, it was maintaining my work ethic and probably to a certain level my mental health as well uh then then it gets um submitted on 30th of november it was eighty thousand words gone and i'm like okay i really want to write another one straight away for the first week and then after that i'm like i don't want to write anything ever again it was a really sort of weird thing of like the the, the momentum and the the adrenaline stuck around for a bit and then it just sapped out of me um and then the it was gradual in that it came back once to check and then it came back again to check for a double check. And then you had to look at the, um, the Kindle versions, all the different versions to, to see how it would look and make sure that it was okay um, to the best of my ability. So, so it was a, it was a sort of odd process. I was mostly looking forward to, to first, to firstly see it signing the contract, being able to speak about it, then getting the physical copy, which I've now, physically got and it's um and that that was a big moment for me so so it was um, it was a really good really good experience but at the end it was a sort of odd way of thinking about it in that I kind of was instantly thinking right what other book can I think of writing because I've really called the book and then instantly over the next week some point I just went no actually I need to take a break from from writing anything because I'm so tired and so so exhausted but um, no, it was it was one of the it was the best experience of my professional career, and and I I can't wait for people to see it because it, I've put everything that I had into it in terms of my passion and my my um, you know my love for the club and love 
love for Bobby, but my sort of journalistic, you know, my my journalistic passion in terms of probing and asking the questions of of what went right and wrong. Well, there you have it. No better sales pitch than what you've just said there, I think, Harry. We appreciate you coming on the Everything is Black and White podcast to share mm-hmm. your experience and your brand new book. And like I say, I've read it and I think it is a, a wonderful journey through Sibor Robson's time as manager of Newcastle United. I fully recommend it. Just a reminder of the competition, you can win yourself a copy. We have got one to give away. As I said, every time this podcast is tweeted out, you'll find the Josh form just below it in another tweet. Fill that in for a chance to win. Um, otherwise, you can head to Harry's Twitter to find out where to purchase a copy. Once again, Harry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, cheers uh, for having me on. It's the first of um, my sort of tour of talking about the book, so I'm, I'm, I'm honoured that, that I was able to give that exclusive to you. So thank you very much, Andrew. But also for your help. I mean, you, you in the acknowledgements, you get a, a mention for, for your help in the speaking about the foundation chapter I, I used a lot of what you your podcast with the foundation as, as inspiration and and knowing what questions to ask and what what was important and as I say I think it's 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 really sort of really great to to be able to to celebrate Bobby celebrate that team in a way that hasn't been done before I'm quite surprised it hasn't been done before I'm quite surprised that no one actually took the opportunity to write the book before me in a, in a way which is great for me, but also it feels like everyone kind of needs it, not just because the, the because the they're not at the ground at the moment and they're not watching their team, but also because generally life's a little bit difficult at the moment. And hopefully, it could it can go some little way to 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 making people, you know, cheering people up a little bit.